Hi guys, welcome to our podcast, Complete Combustion, where we talk about biology and chemistry and other sciencey things. So today we're doing biological molecules, so who wants to start? Uh, shall I start? Okay, you can if so you want. So, um. What elements are required for living processes? Four key elements which make up biological molecules and are essential for all living processes are hydrogen, oxygen, carbon and nitrogen. Inorganic ions also play an important role in living organisms. Macronutrients are needed in small amounts such as inorganic ions, what are some examples? Magnesium, um, which is a constituent of, uh, a constitute of chlorophyll and is um, essential for photosynthesis. Um, plants without magnesium in their soil, they can't make chlorophyll and so the leaves are yellow and that's called chlorosis. Very nice. Ooh. You've got iron, which is a constituent of hemoglobin, which transports oxygen inside red blood cells. Lack of iron in the human diet can lead to anemia. We also have phosphates, which are used for making nucleic acids, so your DNA, RNA and ATP. It's a constituent of phospholipids and is found in plasma membranes. And then you also have calcium, which is a structural component of bones and teeth in mammals, um, and a component of plant cell walls providing them strength. Very nice. Micronutrients are needed in minute, which is trace amounts, only. And so some examples are zinc and copper ions. Definitions. Okay, then there's like also a couple definitions. So micronutrients are inorganic nutrients needed in a minute trace amounts. So copper and zinc, basically the same thing. <laughs> a compound could be anything that consists of more than one type of atom, like two or more elements joined together. Inorganic compounds are compounds that do not contain carbon bonded to hydrogen. So for example, water, carbon dioxide and nitrogen gas. Um, and then macronutrients are inorganic ions needed in small amounts, so magnesium, iron, phosphate and calcium. An atom is something that contains electrons, protons and neutrons. Whereas elements, they only con consist only of one type of atom. And then you have a molecule, which is two or more atoms joined together. Um, and these can either be the same or different um, types of atoms. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, organic compounds are compounds that are based on carbon and contain hydrogen bonded to carbon, such as carbohydrates, proteins, and lipids. So, monomers and polymers. So carbohydrates and proteins can form very large polymers. So what are polymers? Polymers are made up of smaller molecules linked together called monomers. Polymerization is the linking together of identical monomers to form larger molecules called polymers. Um, so when two monomers link together in a, mo um, a molecule of water is like eliminated from the thing. Reaction. This, yeah. um, and it's called a condensation reaction. Um, and many condensation reaction occurs occur when um, many monomers link together to form a polymer. Um, condensation reactions can be reversed, so polymers broken down to monomers, by the chemical insertion of water to the polymer, and this is called hydrolysis reaction. So, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates contain the elements carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. Their main functions are the 
storage and the release of energy. Such as in starch and glycogen. Mm-hmm. And then cellular structures. So, for example, the cellulose cell walls of plant cells. There are three classes of carbohydrate. Monosaccharides, which are the monomers or the single units. These form the building blocks for larger carbohydrates. And the names are determined by the number of carbon atoms in the molecule. Um, and then you have disaccharides, which are two monosaccharides joined together by a glycosidic bond during a condensation reaction. And then polysaccharides, which are large complex carbohydrates formed from very large numbers of monosaccharides joined together by glycosidic bonds. Such as starch. Um, monosaccharides, the general chemical formula is CH2O and then N, so that's times in how many carbons you have in oxygens. Um, if N equals 3, the sugar is a triose, and the formula is going to be C3H6O3. And then if N is 5, it's a pentose sugar, um, and the formula is C5H10O5. And finally, if N equals 6, the sugar is a hexose sugar, and the formula will be C6H12O6. The most abundant monosaccharide is glucose. And this is a hexose sugar because it has six carbons in the monosaccharide. Glucose is found in two forms. That's alpha glucose and beta glucose. Um, who wants to describe the difference? Uh, basically, the difference is is on um, alpha glucose, on the first carbon, um, the hydrogen is on the top, and the ox and the hydroxide um, group is on the bottom is pointing yeah, down below. and then it's flipped on the beta glucose. So the hydroxyl group is above carbon one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we count carbons is there's an oxygen and we count that as zero. Mm-hmm. And then we go zero, one clockwise. So the first carbon is the one, the first one clockwise from oxygen. Alpha and beta glucose are isomers. So molecules with the same chemical formula, so C6H12O6, but different arrangements of their atoms. The only difference is, as Mia said, the positioning of the hydrogen atom and the hydroxyl group on carbon one. Um, other examples of hexose monosaccharides could be fructose and galactose, um, and they both have the same chemical formula, C6H12O6, but um, they're isomers, so they have a different arrangement in their atoms. So some of the types of monosaccharides of biological importance are pentose sugars, so they have five carbon atoms. So for example, deoxyribose sugar found in DNA nucleotides, and triose sugars, so with three carbon atoms, which are intermediate in respiration and photosynthesis. Um, and then you have the properties of monosaccharides. So um, because of their small size, um, they're all soluble in water and so they easily dissolve inside a cell and are easily transported in the bloodstream of animals. Very interesting. Disaccharides are formed when two hexose sugars combine in a condensation reaction where a new glycosidic bond is formed with the elimination of water. So remember when you're doing this in exams, water is produced to show that it is a product. Condensation. Just think of the water on windows. Okay, what are some examples of disaccharides? Um, so there's maltose, which can be um, formed when alpha glucose and alpha, alpha glucose. glucose join. 
there's sucrose, which is glucose and fructose reacting. And then you have lactose, which is where glucose will join with the lactose. And what could be the general formula for these? C12, H22, and O11 yeah. plus H2O. And yeah. it's like that because it's lost the water. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so maltose is found inside seeds and is an important source of glucose during germination. Uh, sucrose is transported through the phloem of all plants. And lactose is found in mammalian milk and is an important source of energy for their young. The resulting link between the two sugars is called a glycosidic bond. And the bond is between carbon-1 on one of the monosaccharides and carbon-4 on the second, so it's called a 1-4 to glycosidic bond. Disaccharides can be broken back down to monosaccharides by a hydrolysis reaction, the breaking of the glycosidic bond with the chemical insertion of water. Very nice. So when you're drawing a diagram of like either the condensation reaction or the hydrolysis reaction, always label the glycos the whatever bond it is and like where water's produced. Okay. Polysaccharides are polymers. In the case of polysaccharides, the monomers are monosaccharides, such as glucose, linked together by glycosidic bonds formed for a series of condensation reactions. The smallest polysaccharide is made up of just three monosaccharide monomers linked together. However, polysaccharides are usually made up of thousands of monomers, which gives them a large size and makes them insoluble. Polysaccharides either have an energy storage or a structural function. Uh, so glucose is the main source of energy in cells and it must be stored in like an appropriate form. So, because glucose is soluble in water, it would affect osmosis, osmosis within the cell. So, um, to overcome this, they convert glucose into a storage polysaccharide like starch and glycogen, um, which are always insoluble, so they don't affect osmosis, compact, so they can be stored in a small place in, in the cell, easily hydrolyzed to release the glucose for respiration, and contains a lot of energy in their bonds. What are some examples of polysaccharides then? So please? starch, will, which will be found in plants, and glycogen found in mammals. These consist of alpha-glucose monomers and are used for storage. Whereas cellulose in plants and... Is it chitin or chitin? Chitin, I chitin. say. Okay, chitin. In, in, in insects, which consist of beta-glucose monomers and have a structural function. Hmm. Should we go into some more depth then? So starch, which is digested by amylase, is an, as she said, uh, energy storage polysaccharide in plant cells. The starch polymer is made up of thousands of alpha-glucose monomers and is made up of two different molecules, amylose and amylopectin. What is amylose? Um, amylose is a straight-changed helical polymer containing alpha-1-4 glycosidic bonds. This and means it can be compacted, so we can store it in more densely in a smaller volume. But it is slower to break down into glucose, as we can only break down one bond at a time, so one from each end. So less energy is released. Yeah. Whereas amylopectin is a branched polymer, and it contains one to four um, alpha one to four and alpha one to six glycosidic bonds. So because it has like more branches, it has more bits to like cut off and release energy so more energy is released 
and but this does make it less easy to store and that's yeah. why there's a mix so we can find a balance mm. and then we have glycogen which is an animal storage polysaccharide found inside liver and muscle cells it is made from many alpha glucose molecules and is highly branched which allows for the quick release of glucose from the ends of branches to be used in respiration it's very easily hydrolyzed it has both one to four and one to six glycosidic bonds it's similar to amylopectin when it's branching but glycogen has more branches and we have to use the keyword highly branched for mm. glycogen mm. yeah okay cellulose um so cellulose is a polysaccharide made up of gl- beta glucose molecules um it's very important in the plant um as like as a structural carbohydrate um, and it's the most important component of the plant cell wall. Um, it gives the plant cell rigid, um, rigidity because the cellulose cell wall is inelastic and has a high tensile strength to, present, to prevent the plant cells from bursting. Um, so the cellulose forms straight change where adjacent molecules are rotated 180 degrees due to the beta um, glucose molecules where the hydroxyl group is and then hydrogen bonds form between straight chains um, forming cross links many straight chains will join together will be joined together by many hydrogen bonds to form a strong microfibril and many microfibrils will form a strong cellulose bundle and did you mention the rotated 180 yes. degrees yes. Chitin is in similar structure to cellulose. It differs in that some of the hydroxyl groups on each of the beta glucose molecules are replaced by nitrogen containing acetylamine. Can someone pronounce it nicely? Acetylamine. Acetylamine groups. These additions make chitin a mucopolysaccharide. It's lightweight, waterproof, and very strong. Um, It forms the the exoskeleton of arthropods arthropods such as um insects um arachnids and crustaceans crustaceans um and it also forms the cell wall of fungi very nice okay lipids lipids include triglycerides and phospholipids what are they made from um try oh oh they're made from the same elements as carbohydrates, but contain proportionally less oxygen than carbohydrates. So as you mentioned before, they will be consisted of hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon. Um, the, so the triglyceride... Okay, so lipids are non-polar. This means they're insoluble in water, since water is polar. Um, but they do dissolve in organic solvents such as propanone and alcohols. Um, tri- so triglycerides are made up of two main components, glycerol and fatty acids. So the glycerol is a backbone. And because they're made up of two different types of subunits, um, they are not made from identical mon- monomers. So they are not polymers. Because there's no repeating subunits. Yeah. Okay, what is glycerol? Glycerol is an alcohol with the formula C3HAO3. It is the constant in all the triglyceride and phospholipid molecules studied. And it contains, as many said, three carbons linked to hydroxyl groups, and it dissolves in water, meaning it is a hydrophilic molecule. 
fatty acids and um, so fatty acids follow the general structure so they're made up of three parts um a methyl group which is ch3 a long um hydrocarbon chain ch2 um and a carboxyl group which is cooh um so there's many different types of fatty acids depending on the length of the hydro the hydrocarbon chain so the higher the number the longer the fatty acid chain um, and the variation in lipid structure is due to the main um, the many. due to many different types of fatty acids. Okay, so what are the different types of fatty acids? We have saturated and unsaturated fatty acids. Okay, so, so saturated triglycerides contain saturated fatty acids, while unsaturated triglycerides contain unsaturated fatty acids. So the hydrocarbon chain in a saturated fatty acid contains no carbon to carbon double bonds and has a maximum number of hydrogen bonds bound to the carbons um, atoms in the hydrocarbon chain. So that's why it's called saturated. Okay, so, so what? Um, and then fats are saturated and found in animals and they're solid at room temperature. And these have a straight chain so they can pack closely together. That's why they're solid at room temperature and they have a strong intermolecular forces. Okay, and then, mm-hmm. and then with unsaturated fatty acids, there are one or many carbon to carbon double bonds in the hydrocarbon chain, meaning that the hydrocarbon chain does not contain the maximum number of hydrogen atoms, hence the term unsaturated. And this means they cannot be closely packed, so are a more fluid lipid. So how do triglycerides form? Well, to form a triglyceride, one glycerol molecule combines with three fatty acid molecules, one on each carbon, and each fatty acid is linked to the glycerol by an ester bond. One triglyceride will have a total of three ester bonds. The ester bonds are formed by condensation reactions. So who can describe what an ester bond looks like if we drew it out? A line. Um, so perhaps a different way of explaining it would be the hydroxyl on one of the carbons and the hydrogen of a hydroxyl on a fatty acid is eliminated to form water so a c bonds to an o bonds to a c on a fatty acid if a lipid is broken down to fatty acids and glycerol the reaction involved will be a hydrolysis reaction um, so a high intake of fat, especially saturated fat, damages the heart and the um, coronary arteries and contributes to heart disease. Okay, so what does LDL stand for? Low density lipoproteins. <laughs> These contain and transport saturated fats and cause harm. Fatty material can block major arteries and cause a myocardial infarction <laughs> which is basically a heart attack to be honest very nice so what does hdl stand for high density lipoproteins um and these contain and transport unsaturated fat um, fats and carry the harmful fats <laughs> away to the liver for disposal a high proportion of hdl um, in the blood lowers the risk of heart disease so, what are some health implications that high fat intake can cause? <clears throat> so, it is a contributory factor to heart disease. 
Um, it can lead to angina, it can lead to an aneurysm, uh, it leads to a higher risk of cancer, and can lead to obesity, which links to osteoarthritis. Basically nothing good. Um, okay, what are some properties of lipids then? They are insoluble in water, but are soluble in organic solvents, so for example acetone or ethanol. Fats will be solid at room temperature, so for example your lard, your margarine, or your butter, whereas oils will be liquid at room temperature, so olive oil for example. And waxes contain alcohol, um, are hydrophobic, and melt above 45 degrees. A waxy cuticle prevents water loss. Um, so the functions of lipids. So the first one is energy storage, which is pretty self-explanatory to be honest. Um, so lipids are used as an energy storage in seeds and animals because they release a lot more energy than carbohydrates um, than when used um, as alternative respiratory substrates. They can be used for protection of vital organs and are used as shock absorption, so prevent physical damage to internal organs, such as your liver and your kidney, which are quite exposed because there's no mm. ribs or anything covering them. Uh, thermal insulation is another function where lipids will be used as a heat or thermal insulator. So, for example, the blubber in whales and seals reduces heat loss. And then you have um, buoyancy. Um, as lipids are less dense than water, they flow and so have a role in maintaining the buoyancy in organisms like fish. And actually, coconuts, coconuts. Um, have coconuts. yeah have lipids and so they flow because oh, yeah. they're on beaches. So it can mm -hmm. be used as transfer of seeds. Nice. Fun facts. How cool. Okay, so metabolic water is produced when lipids are oxidized by respiration. This is important in desert animals such as the camel, whose hump is actually made of fat. And then water is formed from the process of respiration. And then finally, waterproofing. Waxes are hydrophobic and cover the exoskeleton of insects and also the cuticle of plant leaves. Both provide a waterproofing property and reduce water loss. Very nice. Phospholipids. Phospholipids differ in their structure to triglycerides. They have a glycerol, two fatty acids, and a phosphate group. And they are important for the function of the cell membrane very important so the phosphate um group and the glycerol they um uh polar yeah yeah so so they're the polar head so that means they're hydrophilic so they're attracted to the water whereas the fatty acid tails are hydrophobic so it means that they repel the water okay very nice all right that's it for your lipids now let's move on to amino acids and proteins Amino acids, like carbohydrates and lipids, are made up of three elements, carbon, hydrogen and oxygen. But in addition to these, they also contain the element nitrogen. Sulfur is also found in some amino acids, such as cysteine. Sorry, um, so the structure of amino acids, so which they have the amine group, um, you have a carboxyl group um, which are opposite each other around a carbon and then you have a hydrogen you just have a single hydrogen and then you have your variable R group so the R group is called the variable variable group and represents the rest of the molecule and there's 20 different variable variable groups um um yeah which form 20 different amino which acids which form 20 different amino acids that's what I was looking for 
Dipeptides. Two amino acids can be joined together to form a dipeptide. You can gather this with di meaning two. They will combine in a condensation reaction involving the amino, so the NH2 group of one amino acid, and the carboxyl COOH group of another. Um, so the resulting link is called a peptide bond, um, and the dipeptides can be broken back down to um, the amino acids by hydrolysis reactions. And there's no oxygen in the bonds like um, carbohydrates mm. and lipids, which like there usually is. So polypeptides are formed by many amino acids being joined together <coughs> by peptide bonds. Polypeptides are polymers, where amino acids are the monomers because they only have small differences in, so we can count them as repeating subunits. Yeah. Mm. So, amino acids... Amino acids form polypeptides, or chains of amino acids, and polypeptides will form proteins. All proteins have a primary structure and a secondary structure. Sometimes proteins will have a tertiary structure, and occasionally proteins will have a quaternary structure. So the primary structure of a polypeptide refers to the number of and the number and the sequence of amino acids in a polypeptide chain. Um, and there's variety um, in the different proteins found in nature because there's 20 different amino acids and they can have any um, number of any number and sequence of amino acid in a polypeptide chain. So secondary structure. So the primary structure of the polypeptide can coil to form either an alpha helix or a beta pileated sheet. So these are types of secondary structure. The most common type of secondary structure is the alpha helix, and this is held in a spiral shape by hydrogen bonds between the oxygen on carboxyl groups and the hydrogen on the amine groups. Some uh, so some fibrous proteins, which basically means they don't fold any further than the secondary structure, have um, an alpha helix um, linked into rope-like strands, so keratin and collagen. So keratin is found in hair and nails, and collagen is found in the connective tissue and skin. Um, um, a less common secondary structure, um, also with hydrogen bonds, um, is the beta pleated sheet, which is a flat zigzag structure, so the protein silk. Ooh, tertiary, tertiary structure. structure. So these com proteins are more complex. The secondary structure basically folds to give complex three-dimensional shapes. So these are globular proteins. So for example, your enzymes, your hormones, plasma and cell membrane proteins. So the unique tertiary structure will determine its function. Um, this can be formed by hydrophobic interactions on the R group away from the water. Um, the secondary structure is folded and is held in a specific 3D shape by bonds or interactions that form between these R groups on some of the amino acids in the polypeptide chain. What are some other ways we can bond on a tertiary structure? So we've already one heard each. of hydrogen bonds, which form between your oxygen and your OH. Um, and then you have ionic bonds, which form between oppositely charged R groups. You can have disulfide bridges, which form between sulfur atoms in like cysteine. 
hydrophobic R-group interactions, which will occur on the inside of the protein, so away from water, and hydrophilic R-group um, R-group interactions on the outside of the protein, so where like where it's polar and from. Okay. The quaternary structure occurs when more than one polypeptide chain, each with a tertiary structure, combines to form a larger protein complex. The tertiary structures are joined together by bonds similar to those within the tertiary structures themselves, so ionic, hydrogen, disulfide, and hydrophobic interactions. Quaternary proteins are sometimes associated with non-protein groups called prosthetic groups. So hemoglobin is a relevant example, which is where a protein carries oxygen in mammalian blood. It's made of four polypeptide chains, each with a tertiary structure. It also has non-protein components or prosthetic groups called heme groups containing iron. And that's where the oxygen binds to in the hemoglobin. Okay, so how can we classify these proteins? We can classify them according to their structure. So one type would be fibrous proteins, which is um, keratin and collagen, um, which can carry out a structural function. Um, so collagen is made up of three alpha helix um, polypeptide chains twisted into rope-like strands, which are held together by hydrogen bonds. Um, so some of the, like the properties, um, they're tough because they have lots of hydrogen bonds, they're non-specific and they're insoluble. And they're long and thin and strong. And then we also have globular proteins mentioned previously, which can be tertiary proteins. So for example, your enzymes and your plasma proteins or quaternary proteins. So for example, hemoglobin and antibodies. Properties include being compact and folded into spherical molecules. They will have a specific <laughs> specific shape and are soluble in water, making them easily transported through the bloodstream, for example. Okie dokie. Biochemical food test! Okay, so one biochemical food test would be for reducing sugars, such as glucose. To your test tube, you would add Benedict's reagent and your test sample. Then what would you? And then you'd boil it in water. And if you have a positive result, it would um, go from light blue to brick red upon heating. Whereas a negative result would be the light blue color the Benedict's reagent would stay. It would stay light blue upon heating, which means non-reducing sugars such as sucrose may be present. Samples of reducing sugars may give a result with Benedict's reagent that is graduated between green, yellow, orange, or brick red. The more concentrated the reducing sugar, the nearer brick red the colour will be. This is semi-quantitative. Semi-quantitative meaning that it will only give you a range, not a specific value. So then you have um, non-reducing sugars, so sucrose. So if you get a negative result um, in the Benedict's test, um, you can add hydrochloric acid to the test sample um, and boil it. So that will hydrolyze any glycosidic bonds that are present. And then if you add hydrogen carbonate powder, so which is an alkali, to neutralize it and add Benedict's reagent and boil. Um, if, you, if it's a positive result, you'll get a light blue to brick red um, slash orange. So this shows it was in the, um, sucrose was in the original test. Um, and if there's no colour change, that means you've got a negative result. So no reducing or non-reducing sugars are present in the sample. 
Okay, another biochemical food test you need to know is the one for starch, where once adding, after you add iodine solution, it will turn from an orange brown colour to a blue black colour when starch is present. This is a qualitative test with an, and an accurate concentration cannot be determined. Another test would be for proteins, and this is for soluble proteins and it's called the Burek test. When a few drops of burette reagent are added to a protein solution and gently shaken, the solution will form a light blue, will turn from a light blue into a purple color. If the sample solution does not contain protein, then the blue burette reagent will stay blue, no color changes is observed, and remember no heating is needed for the burette test. And then finally you have your lipids test. Um, so lipids are described as being hydrophobic, so they repel water and will only dissolve in organic solvents like ethanol. So if you mix the test sample with an equal volume of absolute ethanol to dissolve in any lipids, uh, and then you add an equal volume of water and shake gently, the lipid will form any small droplets and appear as a white and cloudy emulsion. Remember to use both these descriptive words. Okay. Okay, so, so water, H2O, will consist of two hydrogen atoms covalently bonded to one oxygen. <laughs> water is a polar molecule as it has an uneven distribution of charges. So the oxygen end of the molecule will have a slight negative charge and the hydrogen ends have a slight positive charge. So when two mole water molecules are in close contact, their opposing charges will attract each other, forming a weak hydrogen bond. So many of the properties of water are due to its ability to form hydrogen bonds. Um, individual hydrogen bonds are weak, but many of them form a strong lattice framework. Um, water molecules tend to stick together as a result of formation of hydrogen bonds. This is known as a cohesion. Um, okay, so why do why does cohesion why is it useful in plants in the xylem vessel? This is because it allows water to stick together in a column in the xylem and be drawn up a tree against gravity in one unbroken column in the transpiration stream. Some so, properties of water would be... Surface tension, um, which is where water meets air um, and the water molecules form hydrogen bonds with other nearby water molecules, but not with the ones, not with the water molecules in the air. Um, so this cohesion produces an uneven distribution of force called surface tension um, and the surface of the water forms a skin which can support aquatic plants and insects such as pond skater. And, and it can even support animals on the underside of it so mm -hmm. some can stick to the bottom of it. Uh, property number two, water is a universal solvent due to its, it being a polar molecule. So it can attract and dissolve other charged particles such as ions and other polar molecules like glucose. Its property as a universal solvent makes it an excellent transport medium. So in animals, blood will transport dissolved substances around the body, whereas in plants, xylem vessels will transport water and dissolve mineral ions. Why don't lipids dissolve in water? Because they're non-polar molecules, so they repel water. Water is also a metabolite. This means it's a reactant in photosynthesis and hydrolysis. It's also produced during aerobic respiration and condensation reactions. 
Uh, water also has a high specific heat capacity, so this is because of a lot of energy needed to break the hydrogen bonds and increase the temperature of water. So it provides a more stable environment for aquatic organi organisms as it prevents dramatic changes in temperature. And it also allows enzymes to efficiently catalyze important chemical reactions at the temperature inside the body without becoming denatured. Very nice. It also has a high latent heat capacity, so also known as latent heat of vaporization. And this is because a lot of heat energy is needed to break the hydrogen bonds and change water from a liquid to a vapour. So meaning that a lot of heat energy is required for water to evaporate from the surface of an organism, providing a significant cooling effect as heat is removed from the body to evaporate the water molecules, so sweating in animals or transpiration in plants. Water is also less dense in its solid state compared to liquid water. Ice therefore floats on the surface of water, forming an insulating layer which allows aquatic organisms to survive in water beneath the ice. Also provides a habitat for organisms such as polar bears on top of the ice. And finally, water is transparent. Um, and um, this, so this, allow, this allows light to pass through the underwater aquatic plants um, and enables them to photosynthesize effectively. And that, my friends, is it. <laughs>